Has the world lost its sense of wonder? Will we ever get back to the way things were? Am I talking about this pandemic or am I talking about this movie? What's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks. Let me go back and do that. Uh, was that like Nick's voice? <laughs> no. That was I'm my, like, I'm that, feeling uncomfortable. That was, my on, that was my onward uh, intro, like in the, the beginning. The epic like, narrator voice. Oh, I've fallen on my face yet again. <laughs> Story Geeks. All right. What's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Nick Duke. And today we are digging deeper into, or should I say, we are going onward into onward. A film that asks the question, is it necessary to have a dad? Joining me today, the <laughs> Story Geeks co-host, Sandra Demas. Hi, that was a great opening. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie Guzman. Hello, I know. I, I, <laughs> I feel ready for an adventure now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have led uh, many of two D&D campaigns in my <laughs> lifetime. Um. So yeah, Onward. This is actually the last movie I saw in a me theater. Me too. Yeah. Me it too. Was, it was like literally the the day before we uh, got the, the lockdown orders. And uh, I kind of wish I like savored it more. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, man, it's been, it's been a while. But my theater is uh, staying afloat by... Uh, selling popcorn outside the theater you can actually go and drive drive by and pick up movie popcorn um just like swipe a card and get like a huge like 50 gallon bag of popcorn (laughs) but uh, that's pretty innovative to try to keep the movie experience alive during this time yeah it's like a little little like a sense memory is the strongest right Mm -hmm. so it's like you you kind of get that taste every now and then going like yeah. oh man it'd be so great to be having this in a movie theater again and they and, can like uh, burn it every now and then so you're like ah oh, that's that's the smell yeah <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully soon we'll be back there all right so let's jump into onward um onward deals with three heavy central themes death life uh without a father figure and the ongoing process of grieving what once was um you know the example there is the older brother barley and uh what never was with the younger brother ian um how do you think it handles those themes sandra let's start with you oh man like those are such deep themes leave it to pixar right like hey children let's come and talk about death and you know life without a father and you know grief (laughs) cool um yeah, you know, they're, they're super deep themes. And, you know, I think when you're a kid and you lose a parent, it's hard. I mean, it's hard when you lose a parent, period. But when you're young, um, it's just that much harder. And I've seen children walk through that and, mm-hmm. and kind of try to understand what life is like. Um, and then so many of us don't have father figures, you know. So that right. in and of itself um, is very relatable. Um and so for Ian, what makes it so hard for him is that he doesn't have any memories. So that's especially painful because when you think about mourning someone that you don't really know, like how can you do that, um, you know, in, in a way that seems 
to kind of honor who they should be when you, you don't have anything to hold on to mm -hmm. other than like a sweater, like he has his sweater and, um, yeah. anyway, so, you know, there's I that think, sense of missing out too. Like, yeah, yeah. And you can't even, you can't even say, I, I wish that I had it how it was because he never, he never had that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, the whole thing about just not having, having a father whether it's because they're dead or they're dead beats you know mm. um that's something that many of us can relate to and there can be that longing of like hey they should have taught us how to play ball and and how to drive and, and to protect us like that you see him even like literally making that that list um and so that was so heartbreaking because he he wants that um and it shows that those who don't have that, they long for that. And they have to find that somewhere. In fact, this week I saw on, on Twitter, this man had um, started a YouTube channel. His, he, his dad left when he was 12 and now he's an adult. Um, and he started a YouTube channel called um, dad or, or dad, how do I dot, dot, dot. And then he like shows you how to unclog a drain and <laughs> check your, like all this stuff. And like, wow. It's like that list, you know? Yeah. Um, so of seemingly way. like normal things, but right. they, they really mean something. Right. How do I put who... on a tie or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just thought like that, that's an, uh, yet another example of when we don't have something, we have to what, come to grips with how we're going to face that. And do we stay in that longing or do we try to recognize where else we can find it? Right. Yeah. That's great. Natalie. I love that. Yeah. Well, uh, for starters, really quick, I did see that uh, posted on Twitter too, Sandra, that YouTube yeah. channel, and that hit me in the feels. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> I was. I haven't even clicked it yet. I haven't had the heart. Um, and I just thought that was very touching of somebody to step into that father figure role for millions of strangers, and I think Onward handled quite a specific situation very eloquently i don't have either of my parents anymore but i have memories with them and i am extremely grateful for those memories i got to learn a fair amount from my dad i'm always happy that i learned how to change a tire from him and it, it was it was just really emotional to see these two brothers not have any of that and i think the situation was incredibly unique because this wasn't a broken family that was broken by a parent leaving. It was just the uncontrollable situation of death, something that they didn't want. Nobody wants that, but it happened. And then they just had to pick up and carry forward and do the best that they can with it. Um, and it just touched me so much how Ian would do the best that he could in piecing together any possible relationship of his dad uh, when he was listening to that one recording of his father just a few quick simple words and forging a conversation between he, him and his dad that just really got me so emotional yeah i i agree like the, pixar has a this incredible formula right for like yes plucking emotion i feel like this is one of one of the most emotional pixar films since um inside out Oh yeah. Um that just it really taps into 
your emotions other rather than like you know things like toy story 3 that really pull at your like the nostalgia right um like these deal with real very very real emotions um yeah like yeah like not having not having a dad and like coming to terms with that um it's just it's surprising to me how they can do stories like this they're a very like very it's very normal, a very normal scenario, but it's tied neatly in the in the Pixar uh, in the Pixar formula uh, by in making everything kind of more uh, extravagant than they are in real life. But you know, it's this fantasy world. There are elves, there's centaurs and uh, manticores and stuff like that. Um, so, but like when you when you pull all that away, it's like this very real, very uh, common kind of story um and like kind of leads me into uh, the next question here like how do, how does the setting of onward help or hinder the overall story does the world building work for you this this fantasy world uh natalie start with you uh well it worked for me in drawing me into the film and like I should have known better. It's Pixar. It's always going to make me emotional and cry, uh, right. but I fall. I fall for it every time. I come in thinking, okay, this is going to be the fun, happy, cute story, isn't it? And uh-huh. it is, but it's also <laughs> going to be very realistic and very powerful. And I think it. I think it helps the story a lot. I love looking at Disney films and Pixar films and any film told in the animation medium. Because it draws kids exactly the same way it drew me. It's cute. It's fun. But Mm -hmm. it has the power to provide audiences of any age with these tools to help process very real life things, even in a fantasy setting. And I think what was really unique about Onward was taking a fantasy setting and modernizing it so that we could relate to it even today and telling us a lot of somber messages while still filling it in with a lot of fun and humor and whimsy. I think that would, that's what made Onward such a unique film. And I'm really bummed I missed out on this experience in, movie th- in the movie theater. I did not get to go see it before lockdown began. But I got to see it in a unique perspective, too. This is the first new film that I saw through streaming. Mm-hmm. So here we are going into like interesting new territory um, and an interesting future with the streaming wars that are happening right <laughs> now. Um, but it provided a really intimate setting for me to watch this with my uh, fiance and his family. And even more so, I could tell the story tapped into their emotions a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my fiance has a younger brother, so I think they saw a lot of themselves in Ian and Barley and how even though they both have their parent figures and we're very grateful that they're with us right now, um, they definitely saw that brother relationship being told here. And I could tell the movie resonated so deeply with my future father-in-law who has since lost his father. And he did get to have a long life with his father. His father got to see his grandchildren be born and he still misses him to this very day. And I think there was something about this film that just really tapped into how much he misses his father and how no matter how old we are, mm-hmm. when we don't have a father, we're always going to miss them. Yeah, that's so crazy how a movie about uh, elves and 
<laughs> dragons and manticores and stuff can can do that to you. So I love I stories. Think, and I think what would, um what tapped into my fiance and his brother so much in this film is their absolute love for Dungeons and Dragons. And none of us mm-hmm. were expecting such an influence from D&D in the film. Yeah. And the minute they saw those influences, they were so excited and calling them out. So it was just a really neat experience uh, to dive into the setting of Onward. It was a very unique story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the little call outs that uh, <laughs> that they do where he's like a, a level one wizard could not do the Right. The, the <laughs> it only spell. has a range of 15 meters. I'm like, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Sandro, what do you think? Yeah, you know, the the world building, I thought it was really interesting to see how what's happening kind of in the larger world is reflecting the changes in the smaller world. So we see like Ian is skeptical of magic. Um, He's trusting only what he knows to be true. Uh, He's unwilling to believe in magic or in, in taking risks unlike Barley, who's like all about there's magic even in the games that he plays but but he fully believes it in real life that that mm-hmm. there's magic to be tapped into and he's pretty alone in that you know but throughout the story as Ian and Barley start to like build their trust especially Ian toward Barley like building trust and then starting to believe that there is something that that he can access beyond what he's known that there's magic Um, Then we see the other characters in the broader world, like the Manticore, for instance, she's finally using her wings. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the world building, um, it could have been superfluous, you know, just, oh, here's this thing that's going on. That's an added like humorous bit. But no, we got to see and it it emphasized what was happening on a macro level. So it was pretty cool. I thought thought it was uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. My perspective on on onward um with the world building i i don't know if it is just me um it probably is but i i found myself kind of being distracted by the world um not really it's not to the detriment of the story it, it wasn't enough to take me out of the story but there was sometimes where um because you know pixar loves the details and uh not only just like hiding little easter eggs and stuff in the background but uh, with this movie, like there's a lot of uh, normal everyday like street signs or uh, like business fronts that um, are slightly tweaked to fit this uh, fantasy, like modern fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And I found myself uh, in any given scene kind of looking in the background <laughs> at like stop signs that say like halt, oh. you know, and like... <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, other things like that and just like the the in the logos on like people's phones like i think on ian's phone and like, it looks like an iphone but instead of like the circle button on the bottom it's like this diamond shape oh. and so like I, like the for me like the world was almost like too well put together you know <laughs> to, because i kept going like oh the look at look like in the lower left hand part of the screen there it's kind of out of focus but like it's like a pizza hut but it actually you know it's like a manticore (laughs) hut or whatever dragon hut um but i mean it it didn't take away from the the story at all i was still able to to follow um and actually viewing this movie the second time um i'm interested in exploring this world a little more if i 
I haven't looked at like the box office for this movie because like the you know the pandemic kind of hit it hard. Right. Um, but if they were to see it as successful enough to like keep exploring this this uh, fantasy universe, I'd like to see where where else they can go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it, it it worked for me a lot more the second time because I, I was able to like turn my turn my brain off and uh, like or not turn my brain off but. Uh, turn my brain off from focusing on the little tiny details and focus in on the story and the characters. Um, But so the, in the narration, the beginning of the movie, they mention how the world used to be magical uh, and people used that magic to help one another. Um, But technology is introduced and like convenience is, superseding hard work and training and we see that like when you know like the pixies are say like like we can't fly but they have wings you know yeah <laughs> um so how, how do you see that shift throughout the film and what do you think that says about our society sandra oh you know what i i loved that part i mean i i'm kind of a whimsical person anyway and um you could fit in this world, Sandra. I would Absolutely. Totally. You yeah. have the hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I know people don't like the trope of a manic pixie dream girl, but, you know, kind of fits. So um, <laughs> just the whole idea of, of seeing the world enchanted, like I fully view it that way, you know, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like um, watching that world, the world of Onward, uh, become more magical. I, I love that. I I believe, you know, with how we see the world, um, that we should see that, you know, we're sitting on a rotating globe orbiting a sphere of hot plasma and, you know, tiny flying insects are flitting around, pollinating our food supply. Like, that's amazing, you know, and, <laughs> but you can just be like, oh, we're on earth and oh, that's a bee. Um, yeah. but that's amazing. And, and really until the pandemic hit, our world was too busy to notice much of anything. Um, and, and I'm an extrovert and I'm always busy. So I'm seeing that and guilty of that too, um, that I didn't take time to see, like we have like butterflies visit our backyard like every day and I never would right. go in the backyard. Um, so I'm able to, to see that. And like so many of us are, are tapping into a fuller creative potential, you know, we're making bread and we're, <laughs> we're staying connected, um, celebrating yeah. in totally innovative ways. Um, again, so much bread. I made tamales <laughs> and cinnamon rolls and tons nice. of salsa. Like it's just something that, you know, I, I wouldn't have done before. Many of us wouldn't have thought to bake bread, but you know, because it's so much more convenient to buy it, but now we're kind of tapping into that creative potential and that's what we see in onward so it's so funny that it's a movie that was my last to see in the theater your last nick to see in the theater before Mm -hmm. we were forced to kind of see the magic in our world um and i love that we see that in onward it's even rewatching it um today i was able to go yeah you know what this is i'm seeing it through totally different eyes now because i saw it before and now i'm seeing it when we've been forced to really just look around us for for things that even like the splinter ian finds the splinter Mm -hmm. and there's magic everywhere you know and he finds that splinter and he's able to um use that and that's what we're doing now and i don't know i just 
um, I feel like it's such a special, accidentally, um, so much more meaningful because of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I was thinking that today, um, rewatching this movie, because like you said, it was, it was the last movie that we saw. And I remember like walking out and going, that was, that was cute. I liked, I liked that movie. It was very, uh, it hit all the right emotional beats and everything like that. And then I just kind of, uh, didn't forget about it, but like, you know, kind of didn't really, really think about it. Cause I mean, mainly like heavier stuff got, you know, shoved into our eyes and ears mm-hmm. <laughs> every day, um, moving on. But sitting down today having kind of gotten used to this new lifestyle we're in right now um, and watching the film, it was hitting me differently. Um, and just uh, yesterday, cause I hadn't seen my family in uh, in a, a while. Um, I don't, I don't even remember at this point cause every day is the same day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was just like, you know, what? Um, we're going to just like get some, milkshakes uh from a drive-thru and just go and drop them off uh in my parents backyard and you know just kind of from a distance catch up you know with masks on and stuff and um you know the movie was reminding me like you know not to not to take those relationships for granted um you know even even if you don't have, um, you know, a lot of family to, to speak of or even family that you like, um, you know, there's, there's something special and magical about having relationships with people. Um, but yeah, Natalie, what do you think? So in hearing both of you answer this, I remembered a Walt Disney quote. Um, in which he said, every child is born blessed with a vivid imagination, but just as a muscle grows flabby with disuse, so the bright imagination of a child pales in later years if he ceases to exercise it. And I feel like this whole film was an embodiment of that philosophy, and it Mm -hmm. couldn't have come at a better time. Um, And I love having people in my life that are just like Sandra, because (laughs) I tend to find myself very jaded at times and then I can spend time with an extrovert like her and I'm an introvert so sometimes (laughs) I find myself kind of you know secluding myself away from society to recharge but sometimes my recharge comes um, from extroverts who see the world in a way that I don't and it just reminds me that the world is not that bad that there is Mm -hmm. like real wonder and whimsy and the the film it gave quite a strong narrative on our society, how we have sort of sacrificed the ability to be leisurely mm-hmm. and just look at the world through like a rose colored lens at times and see how wonderful it can be for convenience and for instant gratification. And I really like that this film reminded us to not lose that magic to always find a way to seek it out in some way shape or form even when it's really hard even when you don't believe in yourself to have that ability to find it it's possible and I thought that was such a touching tribute to Walt's philosophy of everything Mm -hmm. he established his own company to be um 
and I again, the film couldn't have come out at a better time. I don't think Pixar intended to release it at the start of a pandemic, and I hope the film doesn't get overseen uh, because of its timing with it. It's got a right. wonderful message that can be greatly implemented when we are able to go back out in the world, and I hope we come back with a much stronger appreciation of how wonderful the world can be despite sometimes it not being that wonderful. Yeah, it's it's easy for us as human beings to become jaded. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's going to happen even after all this is kind of settled. Right. Uh, like we we will have, you know, moments of being feeling jaded. But I'm, I'm hoping that uh, more of a lesson that we we learn from all of it is to not be jaded as much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh so let's talk about these characters. Um, Ian uh, is very introverted and he uh, resolves to accomplish a lot of firsts uh, kind of to rise above that in this movie. He's 16 years old at the beginning of this movie. It's his birthday. And, uh, you know, he wants to he wants to become a, a, a different a, and a better person. So like there's uh, some of those firsts are like merging into traffic, inviting people to a party, etc. Um, which of these uh, first did you feel most sympathetic toward? Uh, Natalie, let's start with you. Definitely the driving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I learned to drive after my mom passed away, but I had my dad to teach me. And the first time I merged into traffic uh, was, maybe we weren't going that fast, but I definitely related to Ian in that moment of being mm -hmm. terrified. Uh, my mom was vastly terrified of the freeway. So growing mm. up, anytime she drove, we never used a freeway. Uh, so it would always have to be my dad <laughs> or my brother to take us to Disneyland or Los Angeles. <laughs> like she always found a street route anywhere, which I'm actually very impressed by her given she did this before we had GPS on our smartphones. Yeah. Um, but I had to pass this milestone without her, which I remember it was pretty hard. Um, and my dad was definitely a bit more of the opposite personality of my mom, whereas she was very much a motherly, overly caring figure. My dad was the kind to push you mm -hmm. out of your comfort zone. And I remember he was teaching me to drive and I was had been doing pretty good on the street. And he's like, OK, now turn right. And I'm like, but that's the on-ramp, turn right. But that's the on-ramp. <laughs> I just remember freaking out. But he's like, just do it. And I was probably going 20 miles an hour. <laughs> and I was so scared and I thought I could at least just stay in the right lane and get off on the next on ramp. Like, hey, baby, says so they like, no, nope, keep merging, keep merging. So on my first time on the highway, I was on the uh, far left lane and <laughs> that was scary, uh, yeah. but I did it. And I think I really like how Ian captured that moment and how Barley pushed him to that limit. Granted, they were in a much more dire situation than I was, but mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I definitely empathized with his terrifying feeling of doing something new mm -hmm. and something that like responsible for the first time right yeah they they did a really good job of like uh showing it's like almost like an impossible task it's like this endless stream of mm -hmm. vehicles <laughs> and there's like <laughs> no way to get in it's like you just got fairies do are it. chasing you yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sandra what do you think 
yeah you know what the the driving i mean mm-hmm. that because i'm i'm we all know i'm extroverted so everything that ian was like shy about like inviting people or whatever like that i'm shameless and not <laughs> not like people would necessarily come but I even just in would, high school in high school i mean awkward and weird you know but i had a lot of really weird friends too um i wasn't dateable really but i had some really good friends <laughs> <laughs> that's different mister <laughs> so yeah I do you want a party yes do you want a date no <laughs> i know <laughs> totally um so yeah i mean like i none of that was scary um you know, I was just always pretty bold and stuff, but the but I was scared to learn how to drive. And I was old. Like, I was 21 when I learned how to drive. Oh, really? <laughs> I know. Well, because we were too poor to have another car anyway, so it was the point. Mm. Um, mm. So when I finally had a car, I was like, okay, I'm old now. Um, but my dad was teaching, or my stepdad was teaching me, and... Um, and yeah, my mom couldn't because she was too like, ah, they're doing it wrong, <laughs> like freaking me out. But he was he was pretty pretty patient with me. But it's just scary, you know, moving this giant vehicle while other people are moving similarly giant vehicles and uh-huh. you're going at a speed. Like I don't know, that's just that was scary. So that 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 I could relate to. Yeah, I think it's the same for all of us because I I I felt it in that that first scene where he's doing the student driving um also i like that there's they they don't really show the character but there's like a gnome in the back seat and all you see is its hat yeah <laughs> um i didn't notice that i had to go I, back and find yeah that. the second no the second time gnome. i noticed yeah no reason no um but like because i had a i had a driving teacher uh her name was ada and she was like a yoda of like driving because she was like it seemed like she didn't know what you know it's like what you're telling me doesn't make sense you know like she would say um like when uh, driving she had like you know the the brake on the other on the other side in case they made a mistake and she would go like look there look far look over there now look straight now look like so like now, uh, whenever I'm like on a, you know, kind of long stretch of like freeway or highway or something like that, um, I, I hear her voice in my head going like, look, look over there, look far, you know, like <laughs> it just, and I, I realized that it made me like relax. Like it, it, it makes me like, kind of like appreciate, you know, the activity that I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm driving, you know, uh, 60 miles plus per hour you know whereas you know otherwise i'd have to like walk you know somewhere before there were cars um and go like oh yeah like this is like a a thing to appreciate um also like the first time going on the freeway um i she had me turn on the on-ramp and she was like okay now you push the pedal all the way down because this car has no power (laughs) (laughs) so like so like you know what learning learning to drive and like learning new things kind of like a really difficult way kind of makes the like when you end up doing it uh the normal way or doing it on like a a newer car or something like that makes it easier (laughs) because it's like (laughs) oh yeah i have to work so hard and like really make sure i have the rules down uh (laughs) in this little like rinky dink uh tin can 
before you know <laughs> I can actually like feel comfortable doing this. Well, um, and I, I like what Barley says. It's like you're you're never ready, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're never gonna be ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was a feeling that I that I can identify with. It's like going on the freeway the first time. I was like, I'm I don't feel I don't feel ready for this. I've never done this before. All I've done is like my mom would let me. Uh, she would stop like down the street from our house and let me drive into the driveway. And it, you know, it was like 20 seconds of driving (laughs) at a time. Uh, But then I get in the car with Ada and we're like, all of a sudden, like the first thing we're doing is getting on the freeway. Um, So yeah, that's that moment. I think a lot of people can relate with. Um, So let's jump over to big brother Barley. Voiced by the incomparable Chris Pratt. Um, I should also say Ian, uh, voiced by Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland. Um, So Barley's uh, overpassionate interests uh, make him a proud geek, but others deem him a weirdo, and like multiple times they even call him a screw-up. What does this say about society, how it classifies people as successful or screw-ups um has geek culture become more acceptable now here in 2020 um natalie let's start with you yeah i i thought that moment where he hears himself being called a screw-up by uh, his mom's boyfriend's peers that was heartbreaking yeah uh because you could see that he is a He's a guy that has a lot of confidence in himself. He mm-hmm. doesn't care what anybody thinks. You can tell by the way he goes and picks Ian up and just is this awkwardly hilarious nerd talking in epic voice. And mm-hmm. the way he, you know, painted his van, Guinevere, the way he dresses, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks of him. Um but I think hearing just that word screw up, that moment broke my heart. And it stuck with me a lot more than I thought it would. And yeah, I, I still wonder what what that means from society where we look at certain people and we see their interests and we think of them as weird or when that is all that captures their interests. And we have this sense that you have to be productive to be successful and that you shouldn't spend as much time on frivolous passions and activities mm-hmm. and I think the use of um, the the game that they play it's it was a kind of a cool thing we I think we a lot of us still look at people that play Dungeons and Dragons and we've always been like hey, you're like really nerdy and we just kind of classify yeah. them in this subcategory of nerd and That said, I think that is taking a bit more of a turn now. Over the years, nerd culture has really had to fight to, you know, make itself not be a subcategory consisting of people that enjoy that. Uh, Star Wars nerds for the longest time, even in my own childhood, were like, oh, you're such a geek. You should be more into like this kind of music or watch these movies uh yeah. i remember in i remember in middle school one vivid memory this really popular girl in my class she was like oh yeah i went to see eight mile today or yesterday <laughs> and i was like cool i saw harry potter in the chamber of secrets and she, the look she gave me again just, right <laughs> again i think i had i think that was the second time i'd seen it <laughs> um 
she gave me this look of like, wow, you should grow up. And I remember kind of just like taking a step back and I'm like, I'm 13. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else do you expect out of me? And I think that has changed a lot. I think it has to do with our generation. We rely largely on nostalgia to carry us forward, especially in moments like right now with this uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we've made geek culture more accessible, more more successful looking. I mean, you see everybody who has created, they've been entrepreneurial just in the like the nerd industry. I mean, we're doing a podcast mm-hmm. right now on a Pixar <laughs> movie and I love that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it broke my heart seeing him, but I like how he just kind of owned it. And I mean, he even tells Ian, like, you got to give me a chance to not be a screw up. Like people don't mm-hmm. give me that chance. So they immediately categorize me as that but in giving him that chance like he was able to use his passions his skills to get them to the end goal and I I thought that was a really neat commentary on how society looks down at geek culture and I mean I've never seen D&D be as popular as it is right now it's starting to creep into my life I'm getting wrangled into a campaign that I'm starting this weekend and I'm really nervous but we'll see how it goes (laughs) Um, oh, you're going to have to tell us your name, your character's name. Yeah, I, I'm starting to draft up my character. I haven't thought up of a name yet, but I am an elf character. I'm a wood elf, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Nice. Sandra. <laughs> oh, man. So I loved Barley because that's kind of how I was and I feel still am. Like, just I'm excited about things. I'm shamelessly excited about things and always have been. And so it, like, doesn't really doesn't really affect me um, or I'm not like concerned about what people think about what I'm passionate about but I do know that even as kids but but um, but as adults you know people are uncomfortable with that and it's sad it's like if if I'm dull and unexcited about things you should be too and it's like no I'm gonna be excited mm-hmm. because I really love I love Disney Pixar films I love Disneyland I love Pee Wee Herman, like horror movies, whatever, <laughs> you name it. Like the stuff I'm excited about, I'm excited about. And and so with Barley, you know, he's very much a relatable character because he does get mocked and even not taken seriously. And I, I can understand that because there is this bit of a stigma if you're super into comics or anime or uh, books or whatever, like that you're going to do that to a fault. Um, to the point that you're maybe socially inept and awkward um, or you're not able to really save money and buy a house or own a car because you're throwing your money at like toys, right? You know, like that's um, the, the way that it would be mocked. And so, you know, yeah, like people are gonna gonna view being hyper excited about things in a negative light more so that shows kind of their perspective and a cynical perspective. And it's not one that I want anything to do with. Um, Certainly we've seen like geek culture has become more acceptable, but it's also been um, turned into a commodity. And so then you have kind of this old geek, new geek, like an old money, new money type thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so weird because like my first Comic-Con that I went to, um, 
I, I was scared thinking, you know, they're going to sniff me out and be like, what are you doing here? You're not a yeah. real fan or whatever. And there's a guy um, sitting at a table and I was looking for a place to um, eat. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you can sit over here. And, and um, so we started talking and he said, because um, I told him I was nervous. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. Like, yeah, you know, we all got picked on as kids. So we're all pretty mm-hmm. like welcoming and stuff. And that. Um, certainly was my experience that year and for you know all of the cons that I go to you're going to find the people who are mocking and who are you know kind of thinking that they're the cool version of geeks versus like the other geeks who aren't but then you'll also see the people who are so immersed in their cosplay or who are so excited about you know seeing something on the um, exhibition um, floor or whatever and like those are the people that you should just gravitate toward because they they're excited and they're willing to um, just be silly and willing to be enthusiastic about stuff and that's what we see in Barley you know he's he's a proud geek and he doesn't you know as long as people aren't saying hurtful things like hey you're a screw up but like hey he believes like in magic and he's teaching and excited about it to the point where he's willing to share that with others that's awesome that's a great character yeah I like them. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that multiple characters call Barley a screw up, but yeah. none of them like can really prove it. Yeah, like, they yeah. never they never really show like why why is he a screw up? Like yeah. all they show is like he's he's very passionate about. Um, I mean, in this world, it's it's he's very passionate about history. Yes. it's it's not even like fake stuff it's it's historical like he says his the i forget the name of the game he's playing but like the dungeons and dragons game is is based in historical fact um and then like there there's landmarks that are all over the city that are historical landmarks that are being torn down um and he knows like you know everything about them and like their magical properties um so yeah it's you know, like people say this all the time. It's like kind of like geeks kind of rule or it's either geeks or nerds <laughs> uh, kind of rule the earth, you know. Um, but, you know, in this in this world, uh, someone is as smart as as Barley, like everybody kind of just looks up on the outside of him and sees, you know, the the kind of dumpy van and the, you know, the spike bracelets and like the the wizardry uh imagery that he paints on the side of that van and goes like oh screw up so i i kind of like that in the way that the story is written is that none of the people that accuse him of being a screw up can actually prove it um and then in the end he's actually validated like in front of like the whole town um to show like he's actually worth something um so which which brother do you relate to most uh ian is kind of the the one uh longing to have an experience or a single memory with his father um and then there's barley who's the one that's regretting his last memory uh with their father and not saying goodbye uh sandra you want to start Oh, well, I think it's obvious that it's Barley for me. Um, (laughs) You know, he is considered reckless and even untrustworthy because of it. Mm -hmm. He's full of passion. 
He fully believes in magic, the magic of his world, despite others' disbelief. Um, and that we and we learn that he is this way, um, and, and there's some unexpected depth to why he's that way. You know, he's fearless because he was once fearful. He was scared to see his dad right. sick, and that fear led him to miss out on saying goodbye to his father. And so since then, he's committed to being brave, and he's not going to give in to fear. So even when it seems like any person with any sense should be fearful he won't be because he 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 lives with that um mm -hmm. that knowledge that hey this was a, a a time when i made a horrible decision because because i was fearful and i'm not going to do that again i'm not going to subject myself to another horrible memory and and i love that about barley because he's taken when when not only is he um relatable because he's you know enthusiastic and passionate and you know a bit reckless he is that way because he refuses to miss an opportunity um and there's depth behind that and and so for me he's he's the one that, who's completely relatable yeah for me um I, I feel like when i was a little kid i was more of a barley and then i became an ian <laughs> um, <laughs> how <laughs> I just I, I don't know it's something about like being being a kid and you know being just like fearless because uh, I I don't know any better and then uh, just then like letting anxieties take over and stuff like that and being yeah. more becoming more reserved and um, uh, more introverted uh, you know like I, I, I can track it over time like i just feel like when just from being a kid to like the end of elementary school was when i was kind of like the barley and then from like middle school on <laughs> i kind of became uh an ian mm. um you know it's it's cool because like barley knows I, because he's decided to become or to be fearless after his experience with his dad, um, that made him know when to push Ian, uh, not just to like constantly push Ian to make Ian fearless. Is he knew when to like push Ian? Like it, sh it shows in like the flashbacks when uh, little Ian is on the diving board mm -hmm. and he's not sure. And, he, and he's wearing like you know those floaties he's not sure if he should jump in and, and um barley pushes him in not as like a, a prank or a joke he's just like you know he's like you're gonna be fine and pushes him in and then when he does you know ian is smiling and happy and then they're having a good time in the pool it's the same thing as when they're when they're older um, and it's a little more dangerous situation, but when he has him cast the spell to walk across the endless pit, <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he gives him the, the push he needs saying like, you know, the worst that can happen. So you have nothing to be afraid of. But then of course, you know, their safety net drops away and he, <laughs> then Barley's the one who's freaking out and Ian's the one who's, you know, uh, has all the confidence in the world. Um, but I just, I just really like that about about barley, and I kind of strive to be a barley now, but I'm still pretty much an Ian. Uh, 
<laughs> but um, <laughs> Natalie, which one do you identify with? Uh, similar to you, I like as a kid, I was very outgoing and I had a very vivid imagination. My older brother is 10 years older than me. So by the time I was like four, he was 14, therefore not interested in anything I was interested in. <laughs> so playtime was very much on my own and I loved it. I had a big backyard. I had my Disney cartoons. I had costumes and dolls. So I very much looked at the world with that sense of wonder that Barley still carries. Uh, and just like you, Nick, I can track like my life uh-huh. and remember even like in middle school and being excited to go see Harry Potter and even yeah. graduating high school when um, I lost my mom my senior year. But um, I was looking forward to the final Harry Potter book being released. And like I, I was still able to carry a sense of whimsy, but... Mm-hmm. I think as like I started to venture on my own and experience a lot more like crappy adult life situations <laughs> that I, that put me like to where I am today. Um, I'm still I, I still like to think of myself as outgoing, but I have definitely transitioned into that introvert that is a lot more cautious and protective of myself. And I want to be much more like Barley. I want to be fearless um but the one thing I don't have in common with Farley is I was able to get my goodbyes in and that's Mm. something I hold so dearly Mm -hmm. onto and I'm very grateful to not have that regret um for both of my parents and that is a neat combination of the two that I was able to be outgoing and full of wonder transition into a bit of an introvert but Mm -hmm. not have my regrets in the past and I can look back at my past and realize I was able to get past moments of hardship by being fearless even when I thought in the moment I wasn't I think back on that I'm like I was and that's something I'm very proud of yeah that's great um what do you think about the decision of Ian not even getting to see his dad's face. Um, What message do you think they were trying to convey there? Uh, Sandra, I'll start with you. Oh, wow. That, okay. So when I saw the movie in the theater and I was waiting for that moment, similar to in Coco, I was waiting for the Mm -hmm. moment when they would sing the sad version of Remember Me. I'm like, I know it's coming. And and I, I was like waiting for that that crying fest to happen right so I was waiting for Ian to get his first real memory with his dad and I was low-key kind of mad that it didn't happen Mm. Um, really it wasn't until the second viewing that I'm like you know what I'm glad that they chose to make this bold move because it reflects reality Um, and I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire and expecting the parents to get back together at the end because they finally learned how to appreciate each other. They were going to be like helping each other. The dad would actually be an active member of the household cooking and stuff. And then that would mean the mom could loosen up and not be so uptight, but they did it. They stayed divorced. And so it, but that's what happens in, in the real world. And so to let it stay that way and say, this is not, this version of good it's a different version of of good or the the best that they can do um under the circumstances so with onward they made that 
similar bold choice to say, you know what, this reflects reality that we don't get to get these moments back and, um, and we don't get bonus moments, you know, and, and um, right. as much as we need it and we long for it um, and we feel like it's the one thing that's going to shift our life for the better. Like, my God, if I could have one more conversation with my sister, right? And like, Natalie, if right. you can have one more mm-hmm. conversation with your parents, like, yeah, we, we all have that. But, you know, it's just it's not going to happen on this earth. So we have to come to grips with that reality and we use that. For a plat um, as a platform from which to grow and and that's you know that's something that I appreciated in the second viewing is that they force you to go you know what he has to be okay and he is okay and that's he's okay before that even happens and that's why he lets it happen because he realizes he's been taking his big brother for granted he had mm-hmm. it all along the very thing that he wanted was being provided to him time and time again he was so focused on what he didn't have that he missed it until he finally saw it and then he was okay he was okay not not getting that moment that he longed for um and i thought that was just so powerful that they did that yeah that's uh natalie mentioned earlier but the the scene is so painful to me is when uh the cops say that barley is a screw-up and And um, Ian says, no, he's not. And then, you know, the the spell that they're casting kind of fails a little yeah. bit because mm-hmm. it detects lying. And so it's like, Barley has to sit there and go like, well, you know, he, he, know, he knows that, you know, he's been taking care of, of Ian all his life. And to hear that even his brother thinks he's a screw up. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's so painful. Um, but uh, Natalie, what do you think? I thought it was a brilliant twist. And I shouldn't be surprised that Pixar did such a great and powerful twist like this. And I can absolutely understand your first reaction, Sandra, of yeah. being like, no, like, I want to see Ian beat his father. <laughs> I wanted to uh, ugly cry. <laughs> right. And to have that moment. But I think that's what I love so much about Pixar and Disney's way of storytelling that in these wonderful, imaginative, creative, fantastical worlds, they still carry a sense of realism and they're able to present it in such a softened way. And I saw this as a sacrifice on Ian's part because Barley having to step in at the father role for his little brother at such a young age was a huge sacrifice of him. Not only could he be big brother, he had to be dad too. And nobody asked him of that. His Their father didn't want that for Barley, but Barley stepped up to the plate. And I think this was just the ultimate sacrifice on Ian upon realizing that Barley had always been there for him and was able to share the moments he'd always longed for with their dad, that that was the least he could do was let him have that moment and have his final goodbye, something that is impossible to recover in such a situation. But of course, like with Disney magic in this situation, it was able to happen. And I thought it was such a great display of sibling love and sacrifice. It was wonderful and touching and Ian didn't completely miss out on it when Barley comes back and tells him dad's proud of you and gives him a hug on his behalf. Mm-hmm. But I I 
the second time watching it and seeing the brothers hug, I think that was the first time they really hugged out of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As siblings, we don't really do that. We are yeah. arguing and punching each other and, <laughs> you know, keeping our distances. And we don't really have those moments until we, and sometimes until it's may, it may be too late. I didn't have that with my brother until he like moved away to go to the military. Now I only see him every couple of years. So every time I do get to see him, I hold him tight. And it it was wonderful to see Ian recognized that in in such a way. I loved it. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, yeah, what keeps us really interested in characters is by analyzing, like, what do they want and what do they need? And really what, what Ian needed was to appreciate what his brother's done for him his whole life Mm -hmm. he really didn't need that i mean we we wanted it for him because he wanted it so bad he didn't need that moment with his father because like there's that scene where he's checking everything off of his list that he thought he he wouldn't get to do and he realized he did um with because he got to do him with barley um but barley needed to say goodbye because he I mean the reason he is the way he is is because he decided you know he's never going to be fearful again um, because of what happened uh, when he was supposed to go in to see his dad but he couldn't do it um, like he he need, he needed to have that catharsis of like okay I've I've said my my goodbye now I, I you know it, it's come full circle um, so it's like, I, I really liked that decision. Um, and I, I love the way they did it too. They, they made a physical barrier for Ian yeah. mm-hmm. to like not be able to get over there, but like he's able to see through the cracks of the concrete, you know, in, in the distance. He gets to see them interact and he's, he's still happy because he sees Barley and, and their dad laughing. Um, and then he, you know, gets to see him kind of, uh, what is it, like pixie dust away into the sky. <laughs> but, he Thanos um, away. Yeah, I thought that he, too. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's talk about their mom. Um, Ian and Barley struggle with having uh, few to no memories of their father, but their, their mother is uh, mourning uh, the loss of a husband and, that, and takes on the task of raising two sons as a widow and even balances a new love interest with um, yeah, several years later. How did the film capture this comp- very complicated set of circumstances <laughs> on the mother figure here? It's something you don't really see in, in these uh, Disney movies, maybe some of the live action ones, but definitely not like these uh animated ones i mean toy story they just never talk about the dad (laughs) (laughs) let's start with you sandra oh you know yeah it it was kind of just a small um subplot seeing and seeing the mom and what she's up to trying to you know go after her kids because they're in danger like that's really the focus of what we see she's up to but knowing that she's got this 
I think husband, right? That's her husband. Her new husband? No, it's her boyfriend. I think it's her I boyfriend. Just her boyfriend? Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, yeah. He's yeah. he's trying to um be this father figure and it's awkward and the boys are just like, Oh groan, you know. Yeah. Like dad jokes, but you're not my dad. Like that whole vibe. <laughs> right. Um, so it's just interesting to to see that. I think that's a um a relatable space for some people. Um, where they either are the, the mom in that situation or the children or child and trying to get used to someone who just, you know, under the circumstances, there's, they mean no harm, you know, but they're there and, and there's a lot of grief, um, that is influencing how they, um, treat even the mom as they try to get used to whoever this new cat is, you know? Um, but I think she's doing what she can. She's working out. She's, you know, <laughs> she's, she's, um, I am a mighty warrior. I know she's I a mighty that. warrior. <laughs> um, you see her like with some protein powders. <laughs> so she seems to kind of have, have her life together in order and, and her priority, um, is for her boys. And I think that's right. That's good. That's noble yeah. of her. Yeah. I like how they, I mean, they establish really quick. They don't make her like a kind of uh, clueless mom character. It's like as soon as like the the boys go off on their quest, you know, she puts the pieces together and she's like, I'm going after them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And goes on this like journey of her own where she ends up wielding a massive sword and fighting a concrete dragon. Yeah. You know, that's (laughs) so cool. Uh, Natalie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a mother, nor have I been in a situation like Laurel has, but I loved her, and I could tell my future mother-in-law loved her at the very end when she's flying with the sword towards the concrete dragon and says, I am a mighty yeah. warrior. She just exclaimed, my future mother likes exclaimed, you go, mom, because I could see her. She would absolutely do that for her two boys who, Aww. if they were in this situation, would absolutely go on a quest like this. <laughs> and I love how... I love a lot of things about her. I love that she loved herself enough to move on and still live her life fully after losing her husband. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a testament to their relationship. Um, he must have loved her enough to be like, you move on, you continue to live. And, you know, she didn't stay wallowed in self-pity. She mourned while balancing such a difficult situation. And I think she was just so admirable and I love that she had her own adventure. I love that she pushed herself out of her comfort zone. I love the awkwardness of that new parent figure, like boyfriend, and her ringtone being "Let's get it on" every time yeah. she called. <laughs> like it was just like that, that awkward. It was just like, "Come on, mom!" But it's just, <laughs> it's sweet because you could tell the two care about each other. You could tell that despite the boys, you know, being very awkward around uh, Colt he cares a lot about them and he's trying and I I loved her. I think they handled it very well. Again, just a very motherly sacrifice that she could have had another moment with her husband, uh, but chose to sacrifice that for her boys too. Yeah. Yeah. Such a cool character. Um, I love the, I love the scene where, I mean, it's kind of the climax of the movie where they're going after the, the dragon and 
she like runs up on its back and is like stabbing the heart of the dragon <laughs> you know it's like a motherly like, legolas epic moment just yeah <laughs> and like just like you know keeping keeping it in the like i don't know what it is like the the heart or the curse mm-hmm. orb or whatever and you know it, you know if she wasn't doing those exercises maybe she wouldn't have been able to hold out so long you know to mm-hmm. let the let the spell uh complete yeah. But uh, so something I noticed while watching the movie again was that um, each character is confronted with like a traumatic or dangerous situation um, to unlock their hidden potential. Um, do you think getting pushed into the deep end is good for character growth? Uh, Natalie, we'll start with you. This is where I'm a little hesitant. Yeah, I... I don't think it can always be good. I think if there is no other choice but to, you know, just like dive full in, then yeah, it can be really good for character growth. But to process, you know, traumatic situations, it's really tough. It could be very tolling. And if not done properly, that can be very taxing later on. So yeah, that's, I think that is a really interesting question and it can be good. Um, I think the moment I felt the most uncomfortable was when um, Ian, you know, survives crossing the bridge, uh, crossing that chasm right. after realizing that the rope wasn't on him and he had trusted Barley and Barley had no malicious intent in letting go of the rope. He was there to like make sure his brother was safe and the situation got bigger than the two of them. And I mean... Ian survived a really traumatic situation right there. He almost fell to his death. And yeah. Barley, you know, he did the best that he could. They were, you know, on a time schedule. They were had a sense of urgency. And, you know, Ian's really upset. Like, how long was the rope not on me? And he was like, oh, just a few <laughs> steps in. And he's like, and, like, you didn't do anything? He's like, yeah, but you lived, right? And then they move on. And I could tell, like, <laughs> Ian's like, you're not wrong. But, yeah, I could tell that's going to be something Ian's going to have to see a therapist for for a bit. Not <laughs> yeah. not because it was Ian's fault. I know he, he, I mean, not because it was Barley's fault. He has no, he had no ill intent. But he survived a near-death situation right there. And that's not easy to get past. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I, the journey for me would have ended at that chasm. There's, <laughs> there's no way, like, unless uh, Barley could throw me across or something. <laughs> uh, Sandra, what do you think? You know, yeah, I think I think that's part of what happens to characters. They have to have some sort of conflict to propel them forward in the plot. You know, um, something is always... Um, the stakes are always being raised. If that doesn't happen, then we're like, what are you doing? What are you watching? So that has to happen. And then in real life, yeah, like we level up all the time. Um, that's what I tried to tell myself. It is like, okay, I'm, I'm leveling up. Um, be- Gamifying your life. <laughs> right, because it, it, um, it blows. <laughs> totally does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do they say to... Uh, I said something to Bobby yesterday. I don't know. Just basically like, just tell me when it's over. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel about life. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> because and I, I'm not pessimistic, but I, I definitely have a dark sense of humor. And yeah. I think um, that we do go through just because we're alive and we're interacting with other people, even from a social distance, we are going to have 
traumatic events and be in dangerous situations, uncomfortable situations. And, you know, we either become bitter or better. And um, that's just life. That's what that's what we what we do. And so we see that happen with these characters. Ian becomes braver. He he taps into the um, the courage and a bit of the recklessness of his brother. And then um, Barley really I loved the moment when he goes to Ian after seeing his dad and having the moment with with their dad and he tells Ian he says he's really proud of you and then Ian's like oh it's because of you and he goes yeah he said that too but he was going to keep that to himself he wasn't going to yeah like say anything about that and it just showed really the depth of his character that he has such a loving and generous humility to say, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like brag about that. I'm going to make it about you and I'm going to lift you up and help you shine. Um, and it was through him going through the traumatic event of having such deep regret and then being able to have a resolution with that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we do have to go through those. It will, it will <laughs> unlock our hidden potential and it sucks, but yeah, you know, yeah. level up. Yeah. <laughs> level up your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. The only thing I would just reiterate one thing I said um, earlier is just I feel like there's certain there's certain times where it it's good to be pushed, yeah. um, you know, uh, further by somebody else, especially by like somebody you love or somebody close to you, um, because like they know you and they know when, uh, you know, they know your potential and they know when you're you can succeed at something um, if you're just given a little push. Um, So I think that's important. So the whole journey is about Ian finally getting a chance to create a memory with his dad, which is something he's never had before. Uh, But in the end, he chooses to let Barley have that time with his dad. Um, And we never get to see the dad's face outside of the photographs um you get to see the back of him on that hill like really small in distance even in the theater it's really small um so what what do you guys think of of that decision natalie um yeah like we said it was bold and i think the the best way i could compare it is so many of my friends post my high school years um and including my own fiance they never got to meet my mom and I can show them pictures and I can talk about her and that's all they're going to get. And I have found a piece with that. And I think we've reiterated how this was a very realistic choice on Pixar's part to not let Ian have that moment. And we're included in that space with him. We're there with him when he can only see him from a distance. And I liked it. It was somber. It was realistic. Um, but wonderful and it it reminded me that like even though I do have these memories of my mom and my friends don't like they're still in that space with me and even though they never got to meet her um, they can have a memory of her through my passing on her story and who she was and uh, it, it was somber it was touching it was very relatable for me yeah, I I I really liked the decision to like 
even just just showing his back it wasn't even just like you see him from a distance it's mm -hmm. like you you don't get to see his face um you just really get to see how barley is reacting to him and i think that's the important part is that you because the whole journey is with ian and barley um you're with them the whole way and so to really just see the looks on uh, uh barley from a distance but even ian's face as he's looking on um, underneath all the, the concrete um, gives you everything that you need. They, they both have like this happy moment. Yeah. Like one is, one is happy for the other. And uh, it, it was also, sorry. Like, it's okay. It was just also a neat, a neat moment of display in what was meant to be. Um, Barley is the one who got to have those memories with his father and in just this very crummy situation of losing their dad before Ian was born it was like that's exactly what was supposed to be for Ian even though it's not a decision he wanted and it was nobody's decision to create that situation but I think what was meant for Ian in the grander story was to be you know influenced by Barley and through that by his father and not that direct conversation. I feel like any processing and mourning that Ian had gone through his whole life would have been rendered obsolete just in having this one, like, five-second interaction with his father. Mm -hmm. Well, it, yeah. it, wouldn't think, have, it wouldn't have been enough, you know? He, he exactly. Wouldn't, he wouldn't have had enough time with his dad, and so you get that taste in your mouth and it lingers on your lips like you now right. you know what exactly you're longing for so I, I again i love that they kept ian away and they gave that moment to to barley but the fact that they kept us away too like yeah. that was so bold i wanted to then when it shifted to like oh barley is getting this moment it's like okay well now i want to be on the on a, a fly on the wall because i want that tea i want to know what they're talking about <laughs> what the dad's saying what you know what's going on and no we didn't get that and and again it's that bold move that they did subtly driving home the point that we don't always get what we want some things will remain out of reach even for us the viewer and we have to be okay with that um especially if the things that are out of reach are meant for someone else. And so this was meant for mm -hmm. Barley, a very private, intimate moment, a last moment with his dad, um, because that's all he ever had was his dad. Ian had Barley, and he will continue to have Barley. So that moment wasn't for him. It, was, it wasn't for Ian. It was for Barley. Um, Ian will continue to, to build memories and what with barley and what barley needed was that uplifting message from his father and the um, the strength to continue to be that father figure for ian so it was only in the second viewing that i i accepted that and i'm like this is really actually incredibly beautiful and powerful that they did this and um yeah so i i loved it even though i initially hated it <laughs> <laughs> I love what you said about like if Ian had had that moment it would have given him just a taste oh, yeah. a small taste of something bigger but it, that kind of reminded me of Harry Potter you know how he gets upset Harry gets obsessed with the oh, mirror yeah. of Arisad, Yeah, and mm -hmm. 
Dumbledore took that away from him and I like that's the beginnings of a villain story (laughs) you know like (laughs) seeking other ways to get more and more and I think that was a really powerful message to pass on yeah yeah I mean that that's right It, it could have turned out like Ian did make it over the over the rubble he gets over there and then just for like two seconds his dad is there and that's like two seconds it's taken away from Barley yeah and then all of a sudden, like, Ian's left with, like, this renewed feeling of, mo- like, wanting more. Mm-hmm. And I was and even... get dark wizard Ian. I know. Well, <laughs> I was That's even... That's sequel right there. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was thinking, like, when that moment was happening, I was like, Ian, run, run, run. Like, I wanted yeah. him to hurry up. Like, it's not too late. Hurry up, hurry up. And yeah. And watching him give up, like, you know, I don't give up. I'm pretty tenacious. And I'm just like, oh, this guy's ticking me off. <laughs> but i receive <Yeah>. it now <laughs> <laughs> all right i think that's uh that's it for the show i did look up the game and it's uh-huh. quest of your quest of your cones of dunshire right <laughs> <laughs> all right well like nick said that does it for um our show for today Special thanks to Nick Duke and Natalie Guzman for joining us. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, we're going to talk about Picard. So we'll see who's on that one. Um, Be sure to subscribe to your preferred podcast provider to make sure that you don't miss any of our shows, any of the tea. Uh, For more information on all of our shows and blogs, head over to thestorygeeks.com. And while you're there, be sure to support us to join the Story Geeks Club. Wait, nope, I said that wrong. And while you're there, support us on Patreon. Join the Story Geeks Club. Come on, we're going to let you in. You're in the cool club. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon as part of our Story Geeks Club Here are the names of some of our deepest thinking geeks on the planet. We have Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen. What's up, Monty? I see you on Twitter all the time. Uh, Nathan Miller, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Sean R. Reed, Theme Pulse Park, and Wade Johnson. To join our exclusive Story Geeks Club, please be sure to head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information. Adios.